Hello, everyone, and welcome to Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's podcast episode. We are back on our state history grind, okay? And we are on 46, number 46, which is Oklahoma. Now, if you're new, welcome to the pod. This, well, let me explain the pod as a whole first. I feel like I, as I got into adulthood, I was still very curious and wanted to learn things even after I was out of school. And so basically each week I go and I learn about something that I, honestly, it's kind of like as I feel like it that week, uh, I learn about something, I kind of consolidate it into a little report or outline, and then I present it to you every week. Usually the episodes come out on Mondays. Since I've had a child, they have kind of sometimes dropped to Tuesdays. So I'm trying to get back to the Monday schedule. But... Uh, this last really year and almost two years now, I think I have started a series where I go through all the United States and I learn about each state in the order that they join the union. We are on number 46, which is Oklahoma. So if you're interested in U.S. state histories, I would highly recommend to go back into my episodes and find all of the other 45 episodes. Um, but today we are on Oklahoma, just as reference, like, I don't think I've ever been to Oklahoma, and really what I think of every time I think about Oklahoma is the one time my, my grandma had to sit down and watch Oklahoma the musical, which she thought, she remembered as being really, like, wholesome and, like, this fun, she remembered this fun scene, and so we sat down to watch it, and it was so long so boring. The one scene that she remembered that she kind of remembered as like the whole musical being fun like that, it was maybe 30 seconds. And then that ended and there was this crazy dream sequence. And so now every time I think of Oklahoma, I think of that and the song, the O-K-L-A-H-O-M-A, Oklahoma, okay. So that's all I had going into this. So needless to say, I needed to learn more about Oklahoma. I did just that. And let's get into it. Let's talk about the history of Oklahoma. before we get into any major timeline or history, let's just talk a little bit about the basic facts of the state of Oklahoma, just to see where we're kind of at today. So uh, the capital of Oklahoma is Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma became a state in on November 16th, 1907, which seems extremely recent. Like, that was just over 100 years ago, and they were still adding like the contiguous U.S. states in. So that's kind of crazy. Um, now let's talk about why it's named Oklahoma. It says that the name Oklahoma comes from the Choctaw language. It's a combination of two different words from that language. Okla means people and Homa, H-U-M-M-A, is translated as red. So red people, the Choctaw Nation chief, named Alan Wright, suggested the name in 1866. It was during a treaty negotiations with the federal government on the use of the Indian Territory. So the name Oklahoma 
is translated to red people. And that obviously is a um, kind of nod to the fact that there were Native Americans in the state. Okay, the state motto is Labor Omnia Vincit, which is Latin for Labor Conquers All. The motto is on the state seal, as are many states' mottos. The nickname is the Sooner State, and this is in 18... Uh, here's the reason, explanation, basically. In 1889, settlers were allowed to race into parts of Oklahoma and claim land for themselves, but some managed to get these spots before the territory was officially opened to them, and those people were called Sooners, which eventually became the state's nickname, the Sooner State. So, yeah, people who got there before the territory was officially open... Those are called Sooners. The population is about four point, it's just four million, four, about four million flat, which makes it the 35th most densely populated. So pretty low on the, on the population density list. Um, let's talk a little bit about geography. So Oklahoma is bordered by Colorado and Kansas in the north, Missouri and Arkansas in the east, and Texas in the south, and New Mexico in the west. So... This says that Oklahoma can be divided into 10 different geographical regions. 10. You heard that right. Usually it's like 5, 3, maybe 6 I like the most. I've never seen a state be able to be divided into 10. But here they are. This is from National Geographic Kids, which always has some of the best summaries of geography. Um, okay, the Ozark Plateau is in the northeast of the state. It includes some of the Ozark Mountain Range, and that says it has, you know, steep valleys, ridges, caves, and sinkholes. Then you have also the northeast, the Prairie Plains, which are farmlands, mostly farmlands that are very fertile, and there's a lot of animals that are grazing out there. You have the southeast, which is the Wichita Mountains region. It includes the Wichita National Forest. The east Central part of Oklahoma contains the Sandstone Hills, which is just these low, rocky hills. South Central Oklahoma is the Arbuckle Mountains. It's one of North America's oldest mountain ranges. It says it's 1.3 billion years old, and they've been heavily eroded. Um, I've literally never even heard of the Arbuckle Mountains, so I've really been out to lunch on that one, but though that is in this region. Uh, Southwest, if you travel southwest from the Arbuckle Mountains, you reach the Wichita Mountains National Wildlife Refuge, which is the state's biggest wildlife refuge. The Red River Valley um, runs along Oklahoma's border with Texas. It says, in addition to the Red River, which forms the wiggly boundary between the two states, this area has sandy, fertile soil and some forests. It says that in the center of the state is the largest region, which is the Redbeds Plains. Uh, it says it has gentle hills made of red sandstone and shale. I think this is mostly what I think of when I think of Oklahoma. Like, Somehow I picture Oklahoma as kind of like red rock and sand, but then also just flat plains. So I think that's what I'm imagining. Further west are the gypsum hills, which are low hills capped with up to 20 feet of sparkling gypsum, which is a soft mineral. And the high plains are 
flat grasslands in the northwestern part of the state, which includes the Panhandle. And the Panhandle is 34 miles wide. It's a strip that stretches west right underneath Colorado. And this part is the highest and the driest part of the state. So very interesting geography. Honestly, I feel like a couple of those could have been kind of grouped into other ones, uh, some of those regions, but there's a lot of geographical diversity within the state, especially with that panhandle. And yeah, it's just kind of an interesting shaped state and geographical region. So the climate, let's talk about, we have 39 inches of rain in Oklahoma. The national average is 38. There are six inches of snow with 28 inches being the national average. So well below the minimum or well below the average there. 234 sunny days, 205 is the national average. The summer high is about 93. The winter low is 26. Honestly, none of these sound too bad. The comfort index gets to about 7.3. So it's pretty, you know, significantly more comfortable than what they consider the average comfort level to be. And the one downside is it gets to about 68% humidity. So um, I don't love the humidity, but I wonder if I could live in the panhandle since it says it's the driest part of the state. Um, Although then you're basically living in Colorado because the Panhandle is right underneath Colorado. So anyway, uh, all right, let's get into the actual historical timeline now. This timeline is from digitalprairieok.net, digitalprairieoklahoma.net. So it goes through like this virtual timeline. It says events in Oklahoma through the years. So we're just going to go through some of these. Again, I will put the links to all of these in the show notes below. And I will also put my whole show notes outline with the sources on my website at uh, millennialearns.com. Good for study guides if you have like state history projects you need to do for school or something. So, okay, Native Peoples of Oklahoma. It says prior to May 28th, 1830, before the Indian Removal Act of 1830 and other legislative legislature removals uh, before they forced many tribes into Indian territory. Many other tribes already called the land that is now Oklahoma home. Those tribes included the Apache, the Arapaho, Caddo, Comanche, Kiowa, Osage, Osage, shoot, I should know how to pronounce that, and Wichita tribes all lived out their distinct ways of life before removal and before colonization. So that was pre-1830. Okay. Then we have the Indian Removal Act. So the Indian Removal Act was signed into law by President Andrew Jackson on May 28, 1830. And it authorized the president to grant unsettled lands west of the Mississippi in exchange for Indian lands, which is today's southeastern portion of the U.S., This is what led to the Cherokee Trail of Tears, which is where they, like, marched these Native Americans across, and it was really brutal and not good. But the tribes that were moved included the Choctaw, Seminoles, Creek, and Chickasaw. Okay, let's move to the next one. These are, like, just the big events. Uh, Washington Irving 
wrote a tour on the prairies. Um, it says in autumn 1832, author Washington Irving embarked on a month-long journey through Indian territory, which includes present-day Oklahoma, and he wrote a tour of the prairies. He described the details of his trek in that book. Um, he also wrote things like Rip Van Winkle and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And he arrived, he first arrived um, at the military site Fort Gibson on October 8th, 1832. So that's when he first entered what is known as Oklahoma. Okay, the next event on the timeline is something called the Red River War, which I really like this website, the digitalprairieok.net, because it actually goes into a little bit of detail about what some of these events entailed. Like a lot of the other timelines I've found just say, oh, the Red River War happened, and then don't go into any detail about what the Red River War was. So I have to mark it down to like research later. But on June 27th, 1874, uh, the Red River War started. It was the last major military conflict between the U.S. government and the Southern Plains Indians. Um, it says, while many of the tribes had been forced to into agreeing on... Oh my gosh. While many tribes had been forced into agreeing to live on reservations, they were often poorly run with rations and materials being too small for the needs of the tribes. Raids were common. Um, there caused... There was a lot of conflict between the natives and the white settlers settling and hunting on land that the natives believed to be sacred hunting grounds uh, for their tribes. So it says that the first engagement started at dawn on June 27th, 1874, when hundreds of warriors led by Comanche spiritual leader Issa Tai and Comanche chief Kwana Parker attacked the adobe walls post. There were numerous conflicts that followed. It said it went into uh, 1875. It ultimately resulted in the capture and deportation of 74 tribal leaders, the extermination of the bison herd in the South and the white settlement of the Texas panhandle. That is crazy that it also led to the extermination of the bison herd. That is not good. I mean, definitely the deportation of tribal leaders also isn't good, but I wasn't really expecting it to affect the bison population. But anyway, that is the Red River War. Okay, the next event is the Dawes Act. On February 8th, 1887, the Dawes Severalty Act, also known as the General Allotment Act, was a law championed by Senator Henry Dawes of Massachusetts that gave the federal government the power to break up communally held native land and allocate it to tribal individuals. Um... So this was like a way to Americanize the uh, Native Americans. So that was in 1887. In April 22nd of 1889, the land run of 1889 began. It began because there was the legal opening of federally held land to white settlement. Uh, Benjamin Harrison was president at the time, and he authorized the settlement of the unassigned lands and so people went out and uh tried to rush out there to settle the land this is you know when people got there earlier it you know they were known as sooners and that's why the state got their name so that's where that comes from in 1890 was the organic act of 1890 it was passed on may 2nd of that year it created separate oklahoma and Indian territories outlined 
Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry. I read the sentence wrong. It uh, created separate Oklahoma and Indian territories, outlined the provisions of a territorial government, and set aside land in every township for public schools. So it, it was kind of a very widely encompassing act. Uh, state colleges and universities were founded in 1890 as well on December 19th. They founded three public universities, University of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma A&M, which is now Oklahoma State University, and the Central State Normal School, which is now the University of Central Oklahoma. Okay, in 1906, there was the Constitutional Convention, and it says it was in November 20th, delegates to the Constitutional Convention um, of 1906 After the Enabling Act of 1906 allowed Oklahoma Territory and Indian Territory to become a single state, 112 elected delegates met in Guthrie from November 20th until March 15th, 1907. The delegates led by Alfalfa Bill H. Murray drafted a constitution, which the public approved in 1907. So then Oklahoma becomes a state in 1907, on November 16th, it becomes the 46th state. Following several acts that incorporated more and more Indian tribal land into U.S. territory, uh, Theodore Roosevelt was the president at the time. Okay, then the state capital moves from Guthrie to Oklahoma City. That was in uh, too fast, 1910. 1914 uh, was World War I. It said that World War I had a really profound impact on the people of Oklahoma, so agriculturists experienced a steep drop in prices for their goods. Uh, but then there was a very sharp increase as allies relied on their crops. So it says the anti, anti-war sentiment most prominent in the Green Corn Rebellion gave way to enthusiastic, enthusiastic patriotism. Oh my gosh, why can I not pronounce words? Enthusiastic patriotism. Because, like, basically their prices fell, they didn't want the war, but then the Allies needed them, so the prices shot up, and so then they're like, wait, this war isn't so bad. Uh, Oklahoma Native Americans were the first code talkers as well, so that was also during World War I, starting 1914. The Green Corn Rebellion was in 1917, so it says that... On August 2nd, 1917, as the United States entered World War I, Germany began closing off European markets to United States exports. The resulting recession in prices exacerbated existing problems between poor tenant farmers and wealthy landowners in rural Oklahoma. These tensions, mixed with anti-war sentiment, uh, came to a head in 1917 when tenant farmers revolted. So it says that they like burned bridges and cut telegraph lines. They wanted to march all the way to Washington, D.C., but local authorities cut them off before they even reached Missouri. So uh, they definitely didn't reach D.C., but yeah, it was an uprising of the tenant farmers. There was an influenza pandemic in 1918, which was known as the Spanish flu. So that was... 1918, suffrage happened. Uh, 
let's see, November 5th, 1918, the 19th Amendment guaranteed all women American, all American women the right to vote in all elections in the U.S. It was ratified on August 20th, 1920. So apparently it was introduced in 1918, which I didn't know. But that passed in 1920. The Tulsa Race Massacre happened in 1921. It says, uh, the Tulsa Race Massacre occurred on May 31st to June 1st of 1921 when mobs of white people attacked and destroyed the Greenwood Residential and Business District, which was a prospering black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, Let me click in and read this more. I've heard about this for sure. Uh, and I think this was an important one to go into more information. It says the massacre occurred when a black man was accused of assaulting a white woman in a downtown elevator. Um, the Tulsa race massacre is considered the worst example of racial violence in American history. So really bad. Obviously that was in 1921. Uh, let's see. Construction begins on Route 66 on November 11th, 1926. Okay, then the Dust Bowl happens, and that starts April 14th, 1935. So, let's talk a little bit more about the Dust Bowl here. It says, it's considered the worst man-made ecological disaster in American history. They seem to have a lot of records for, like, the worst something in American history. First... Worst racial violence example and worst ecological disaster. It says in the 1930s, there was a severe drought combined with poor farming practices and economic depression led to severe wind erosion of all the topsoil. It affected not only Oklahoma, but also like the surrounding areas. So Colorado, Kansas, uh, Texas, and New Mexico. Five inches of topsoil was lost. Over 10 million acres, which impacted 80% of the high plains that was by 1938. Um, and again, this started in 1935. So like in three years, five inches of topsoil was gone. On April 14th, 1935, one of the most devastating storms swept across the region in what became known as Black Sunday. It was super high winds and it kicked up dirt and dust that it blocked out the sun. And a lot of the eyewitnesses to this thought that the world was coming to the to an end like the the sun was blacked out because it was such a bad storm and all the topsoil was blowing around and it was just really bad and I think I want to research like the actual like the, the, the farming practices and and all the detailed things about why the dust bowl happened because I know that it was really bad and I know that like I've known all these things, like the topsoil went away and there were bad farming practices and there was a recession and stuff, but I don't, I I can't fully grasp yet why it happened and what was happening and is that like unavoidable now or are we still doing those practices? So I am going to add that to my list of podcast topics as well. Um, The New Deal projects happened in response to the... Great Depression, like recovering from, or sorry, like trying to get out of the Great Depression. So that started on May 6th, 1935. It says in response to the prolonged Great Depression, the U.S. Congress created the Works Progress Administration. Their aim was to employ as many people as possible to build lasting projects that could benefit communities. So 
The WPA was especially impactful in Oklahoma, where um, 119,000 of the 166,000 Oklahomans who were certified for the program were employed. So it gave a lot of Oklahomans a lot of jobs. There was a refinery strike in 1938. Um, This like it was about seniority and vacation and using the union to bargain for workers. There was violence that broke out with a lot of these unions and like workers' rights things I've noticed. Like I didn't realize how much violence was in like union strikes and getting labor laws in place. It's kind of crazy to learn about. Um so anyway, large refinery strike happened in 1938. World War II started September 1st, 1939. It says, after the success of the Native American code talkers in World War I, the U.S. Army recruited 17 Comanches from Oklahoma to develop an unbreakable Comanche language code, and this code was used to transmit messages through telephone and radio transmissions on Utah Beach during the Normandy invasion in France. So Oklahoma had a major role to play in World War II. Oklahoma, the musical, premieres in New York City on March 31st, 1943. O-K-L-A-H-O-M-A, Oklahoma, okay. That's all I remember, and some crazy dream sequence. But yes, that was 1943. Uh, Okay, there was a civil rights activist, Ada Lewis Sipuel, Sipuel Fisher, should learn how to say her last name. Sipuel, maybe? Uh, on January 12, 1948, it was ruled in Sipuel versus Board of Regents of the University of Oklahoma that she must have the same opportunities as the other Oklahomans to earn a legal education in Oklahoma. She was the first black student admitted into the University of Oklahoma's College of Law. So that was 1948. The state song was changed to Oklahoma... Um, in 1953, this is from the Broadway musical Oklahoma. So they really embraced that and made it their official song. So I should not rip on it so much because, well, no, I like the song. I just don't like the musical. So I'm sorry to any Oklahomans who love the musical, but the song is good. The first civil rights, uh, activist sit in. In Oklahoma was in 1958 in Oklahoma City. Uh, There was a teacher, Clara Looper, who led her students into the segregated Katz drugstore. They sat and ate lunch at the counter, and this was one of the first sit-ins in the United States. Prohibition is repealed in 1957. So Oklahoma was a dry state from the beginning, There was a prohibition of alcohol in its original constitution in 1907, which is kind of crazy. And all the first governors were strong supporters of prohibition. But Oklahomans voted on April 7th, 1959 to repeal prohibition and create the Alcohol Control Board. So within Oklahoma in 1959, alcohol is now legal. Um, this has that the Kennedys visited Oklahoma as of 
major event in the state history in 1959. I'm not going to go get into too much detail about that, but yeah, I guess the Kennedys visited Oklahoma. There was a sanitation worker strike in 1969. Uh, Carl Albert began his post as Speaker of the House of Representatives on January 21st, 1971, um, and this was the highest elected public office held by an Oklahoman up to that point. He presided over the Congress during the Watergate scandal, which is pretty interesting. Uh, the Tulsa Port of Catoosa opens in 1971. I'm not going to go into much more about that. There's an agricultural, sorry, that is not the right word. The Spiro Mounds Archaeological State Park was opened in 1978. It is the first and only prehistoric American Indian archaeological site in Oklahoma open to the public. Then there was the bombing of the Alfred M. Oh my gosh, I cannot read. The baby has been going through a bit of a sleep regression and I think I'm... It's catching up with me. I think that's why I'm having trouble pronouncing words and reading. Or I'm just trying to go too fast, honestly. Who knows? But it is the bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah building. That happened on April 19, 1995. Uh, it's in downtown Oklahoma City. was destroyed in a terrorist attack when the bomb exploded. It killed 168 people. There was an Oklahoma City National Memorial Museum to remember those who were killed those who survived and those who changed, whose lives, and and those changed forever. It says there's also a field of empty chairs, and that remembers uh, the victims of the bombing. Okay, let's see. And that is all. Those are the major timeline events of the state of Oklahoma. So I like that timeline. It, it had like just enough, um, just enough of the important things, but not like too many, just minuscule little events. So I liked it. It was good, uh, good timeline. Okay. Let's talk about famous people from Oklahoma. Now, uh, Brad Pitt is from Oklahoma. Chuck Norris, Ron Howard, Reba McIntyre, lots of actually famous people from Oklahoma, which is kind of uh, kind of surprising. Garth Brooks, Jim Thorpe, who was an American athlete, it says, and Olympic gold medalist. Olivia Munn, Blake Shelton, Mickey Mantle, James Marsden, Sam Walton, Carrie Underwood, Kristen Chenoweth, Bill Hader, they're just, it's just never ending. Honestly, there's a ton of people from Oklahoma. You know, some of these states you'd imagine a lot of famous people coming from, and some you would think there's like none. You would think, maybe I have the wrong impression of Oklahoma, honestly. I would think, I'm not going to say we all would think this, but I would think from my impression of Oklahoma that not a lot of famous people are coming out of Oklahoma. But there are way more than some of the states that I would have assumed famous people would come out of. So very fascinating. Okay. State symbols. Let's talk some state symbols. This is one of my favorite part of like all the state histories because it just really sums up like a state's personality. 
and it's just fun. Uh, the American bison is the Oklahoma state animal because it's native to the grasslands and woodlands of what is now Oklahoma. They have a state fur bearer. So that says a lot about the personality of the state in general. They call it a fur bearer. But anyway, it's the raccoon. The raccoon was named the state fur bearer in 1989. The state game animal is a white-tailed deer. That's pretty standard. The state horse is the American quarter horse. That was designated very recently in 2022. Um, It says the American quarter horse's name is derived from its ability to outrun other horse breeds in races of one quarter mile or less. It's a quick and smart cow horse, the most popular breed of horses in the U.S. So that's the state horse. Then there's also the state heritage horse, which is the Oklahoma colonial Spanish horse. That was designated in 2014. The state pet is rescue animals, which is kind of always a cheap one. That's just like, you know, someone was just lobbying to get like rescue animals, some publicity, which I guess is fine. But when there's like a state animal, I like it to be an actual animal. You know, there's some state dogs that are like a Great Dane or, you know, I don't know, other breeds of dogs, but this is just rescue animals. Um, The state bird... Uh, let's see. Oh, well, okay, this is kind of makes it more interesting. The rescue animals law that designated it in 2021 is named Callie's Law because it's named after the state representative Mark McBride's uh, Catahoula Mix rescue dog, Callie, who he adopted from an animal shelter. All right, the state bird is the scissor-tailed flycatcher. That was named in 1951. Pretty interesting looking bird. Uh, the state raptor is the red-tailed, red-tailed hawk. State game bird is the wild turkey. The state flying mammal is the Mexican free-tailed bat. It felt like Oklahoma just has some time on their hands sometimes and just want to get very granular in naming their state symbols because some of these are extremely specific. The state reptile is the collared lizard. The state amphibian is the bullfrog. The state fish is the white bass. The state butterfly is the black swallowtail. State insect is the honeybee. State fruit is the strawberry. Okay, and here's a weird one. The state vegetable is watermelon. There's... That's not... A vegetable. Is that considered a vegetable? Hold on, I need to actually Google this. Um, Okay, is watermelon a fruit or vegetable? Watermelon is a fruit. Yeah, what are they talking about? They're calling watermelon a vegetable. Okay, well... And this is what I mean when it says that, when I say that it kind of explains a state's personality. The state floral emblem is mistletoe. The state flower is the Oklahoma rose. The state wildflower is the Indian blanket. State fiber is cotton. State tree is the red bud. State grass is Indian grass. The state soil, I'm port silt loam. 
The state rock is the rose rock. State crystal is the hourglass selenite. There's a state dinosaur, which I cannot pronounce, and a state fossil that I cannot pronounce. They have a state astronomical object, which is the Rosette Nebula. Um, so, yeah, they have a million state symbols. And, I don't know, they have so many I'm getting annoyed, honestly. Like, okay, stop, like, enough with state symbols. They have a state cartoon character named Gusty. They have a state monument, which is the Golden Driller. They have a state pin, which is this OK pin. It has the words OK with like an outline of the Oklahoma state shape. They have a state steak, which is a ribeye, state drink, which is milk. The state meal is chicken fried steak, barbecued pork, fried okra, squash, cornbread, grits, corn, sausage with biscuits and gravy, black-eyed peas, strawberries, and pecan pie. Okay, the more I read, the more I'm getting just, like, over Oklahoma and their state symbols. I was really excited when I started this article. You know, sometimes I don't read through all the state symbols beforehand. I just am like, well, I'll just read them as I go in the podcast. So I came in here all fresh and perky and excited to read the state symbols, but they have too many, okay? They have way too many. State colors are green and white. The state flag salute is, I salute the flag of the state of Oklahoma, its symbols... It's symbols of peace unite all people. State Tartan. There's a state western band, which is the sounds of the southwest. There's a state theater, a state poem, a state percussive musical instrument, which is the drum. State musical instrument, which is a fiddle. State folk dance, which is square dance. State song is Oklahoma. State children's song is Oklahoma, my native land. State country and western song, Faded Love. State folk song, which is Oklahoma Hills. State gospel song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. State waltz, Oklahoma Wind. Inspirational song, I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me. Okay, that's a good one. I can't hate on that one. There's a state land run song, which is the Oklahoma Run. And the state rock song, Do You Realize? I'm done. That was all the state symbols, but why are there so many? I cannot... Oh my gosh, I'm in like a, I'm in a worse mood after that. Okay, let's go quickly through the attractions. This is the last thing. 45 things to do in Oklahoma. I'm going to go over the top few, uh, but I will link this below because there is actually a decent amount to do in Oklahoma. Number one is the Philbrook Museum of Art. So that sounds kind of cool. It's on like this big estate that looks really cool and historic. There's the Oklahoma City National Memorial Museum. That's what we were talking about with the Oklahoma City bombing. There's the Science Museum of Oklahoma, which is always fun. National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum is number four. And number five is the Oklahoma City Museum of Art. It doesn't sound like from this that there's a ton to do other than museums. There are more. Uh, Route 66 runs through the state, as we mentioned. There's the Beaver's Bend State Resort Park. There's a lot more nature stuff as you go down the list. Um, and then there's like a nice botanical gardens that is listed as well. So those are some of the attractions, things you can do in Oklahoma. So if I missed any, then leave a comment in the uh, conversation box on Spotify. And I would love to know because I hope to visit many of these states. So anyway, that is it. That is the history of Oklahoma. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode, and I'm just going to wrap it up because <sighs> the state symbols drain me. 
I can't. <laughs> if you're an Oklahoman, why do you have so many state symbols? It, more, more specifically, if you're an Oklahoma state legislature, legislator, why? What is the point of this? Anyway, all right. Thanks for all for listening. I'll see you next week for another episode. And thank you all for listening. Bye, everyone.